Hello again, folks. I am glad you're here. Pull up that chair. Let me feed those ears. It's still brilliant. It's still stupid. It's SMPH presented by Spotify for podcasters. Amy Jo Cook back with you on a Wednesday this week. I was incapacitated Monday and Tuesday, sicker than dog shit. But I'm feeling a lot closer to 100% today. So yes, the podcast is a day behind schedule. But at the same time, I'm not putting it off for a whole week. Now that I feel a little closer to the way I should, I'm here with you and I've got a packed one, as I often do. Again, just like every week, SMPH Still Brilliant Still Stupid is presented by Spotify for Podcasters. Spotify for Podcasters is the great service that gives you all the tools you need to record, edit, distribute, and monetize your podcast on a variety of different platforms, including, but not limited to, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and several others. Visit podcasters.spotify.com and start your own podcast today. Again, I do apologize for being under the weather the last couple of days. Everything's kind of behind. In fact, the rest of my week is now two days behind schedule. It's going to be a bit of a pain in the ass, but it's okay. Better late than never. Still going to get this out to you. All of you who are continuing to spread the word about the podcast, thank you. We see the numbers ticking up slowly, but they are ticking up, and I am grateful. I've had an exhausting last seven days. Not anybody's fault in particular, just... Oh, just spread thinner than mustard on a fucking public school cheeseburger. And it all finally caught up to me. And my brain, my body was just like, enough! Shut this shit down! Like John Taffer when he finds mildew in a beer line, shut it down! So we shut the whole thing down. I needed a couple days to just kind of be dead to the world. But again, I'm back close to something resembling 100%. And we've got a full lineup for you today. Any comments, questions, concerns about last week's episode, or any of the topics we've discussed over this run of the program, feed my ears at Outlook.com, or hit me up at the SMPH voicemail inbox 937-226-9767. As always, I request that you keep it under two minutes. Now, if you'll recall last week, because I record on Tuesdays, I had a chance to see last Monday night's Monday Night Football. I watched Aaron Rodgers get four plays into the game and tear his Achilles. Now, while MetLife Stadium's turf in particular has received a, a, a fairly generous amount of derision from the players, the NFLPA last week decided to overreact to this. And yes, it was an overreaction. And demand that all 31 state or all 30 stadiums, because there are two stadiums where there are two tenants, demanded that 
all stadiums switch to natural grass. Which is, frankly, preposterous. Here's a few problems with the, air quote, logic behind this push for every stadium to be natural grass. First and foremost, the vast majority of NFL stadiums are not in fact owned by the NFL franchises. Because despite these franchises being worth billions of dollars, they demand the municipalities where they play subsidize the buildings, which means the municipalities own the buildings. The taxpayers own the buildings. And in a lot of those cases, those municipalities decide to get their money back on these expenditures by renting out the building to other, other businesses, other performing acts, other sports for the other days of the year that the NFL is not in the stadium. And think about this. The NFLPA is demanding natural grass surfaces at these stadiums when they are at most occupying these stadiums for a total of 9 to 11 days out of the whole goddamn year. So what's, what's the municipality supposed to do for the remaining 350 to, or 352 to 355 days of the year? Just let other things tear up the grass? Like, I mean, if you're from this part of the country, from southwest Ohio, I know social media has nuked most folks' capacity to remember things. But if you're in southwest Ohio, you're probably a Bengals fan. And if you're not, you're probably a Browns fan. But if you are from this part of the country and you are familiar with what is now Paycor Stadium, formerly Paul Brown Stadium, remember back to 20 years ago when the building was not only hosting Bengals games, but was also hosting concerts and high school playoff games all at the same time. There was a stretch where it was hosting University of Cincinnati games while Nippert Stadium was being renovated. Until 2003-2004, for the first few seasons, Paycor Stadium had a natural grass surface. The problem is, with all of that traffic on that natural grass, especially in late fall, early winter, the grass was beginning to wear out under the strain of that much foot traffic. Go watch an NFL game from the 70s on YouTube. Back when they didn't replace sod all the time, those fields would become mud bogs over the span of a single game. Even 20 years ago, when they would routinely replace the sod, at that point in the end of the 2002 season, the sod had seen so much traffic, and it was so cold, the sod wasn't taking root. And in a late-season game between the Bengals and the Chiefs, Entire sheets of sod are coming up when the players cut on this surface. How the hell is that safer than artificial turf? 
Funny how we forget that that was a real problem, and that was what actually compelled Pancor Stadium at the behest of Hamilton County officials to switch to an artificial surface in the first place was because the natural grass couldn't handle that volume of traffic. And it was considered dangerous for players to try and cut on what was basically an all-natural rug sitting on top of dirt that hadn't taken root. Let's look at stadiums that are still natural grass surfaces, like Acrisure Stadium in Pittsburgh. Does anyone remember in 2006, the mud bog Monday night game between the Steelers and the Dolphins? Where field conditions, as a result of a similar volume of traffic, the University of Pittsburgh had a home game two days prior, high school playoffs had been going on for the preceding two weeks, and a Kenny Chesney concert had been held on that surface all in the span of a fortnight. As a result, the sod had gotten so beat up that when a heavy rain fell, it caused the sod to separate from the underlying dirt, and the entire stadium surface was a mud bog. So severe, in fact, that at one point during the game, a punt kick did not bounce when it hit the surface. When this ball hit the surface, it came to a dead fucking stop. Because the sod was in such bad shape and because rain had reduced the field to a bog, the football came to a dead stop when it landed. It did not bounce even once. How is that safer than playing on turf? And you can make these estimated claims about injuries happening 20 to 30% more frequently on natural surfaces or on turf surfaces than on natural surfaces. But at the same time, the NFLPA study selectively leaves out the dozens, if not hundreds, of instances where adverse weather conditions or excessive foot traffic damage the grass to the point where it becomes a slip hazard. How the hell is it safer? As long as these municipalities continue to foot the bill for this stadium and its maintenance, guess what? They're not going to switch to grass. There are some stadiums where natural grass is still in play. Philadelphia still plays on grass. Pittsburgh still plays on grass. Washington still plays on grass. Baltimore switched to turf. Carolina switched to turf. Jacksonville and Miami still play on grass. Tampa still plays on grass. Cleveland still plays on grass. Chicago still plays on grass. Green Bay still plays on grass. There might be a few outliers like Vegas or Arizona who have roll-in grass pitches, grass fields. Even Houston eventually abandoned their natural grass surface because it was too expensive to maintain. Oh, San, San Francisco also plays on grass. Almost left them out. 
Kansas City still plays on grass. Denver still plays on grass. Now, granted, they have a heating system underneath their field to keep the dirt soft and keep the sod from separating from the dirt. But I, I saw a statistic floating around this week that it would only cost stadiums an average of $12 million to switch to natural grass, and that might be the cost of the switch, but that's not the cost of the maintenance. Do you seriously think that these municipalities are going to continue to foot the expense of these of maintaining these surfaces because you know full well the nfl franchises are going to dig their heels and fuss and whine about how they shouldn't be on the hook for the cost especially considering how many times even still they're asking for sales tax increases and tax subsidies because they want a new building because their current building is only 20 years old excuse me why should you deserve a tax subsidy at all i mean and that's the thing you're starting to notice Across the league, a lot of municipalities and their people are beginning to rage against that concept of a franchise worth billions of dollars wanting the taxpayers to foot the bill on a building. With the franchises threatening to relocate if they don't get their way. Ah, horse shit. If you're worth billions, you can afford it. If you want to switch to natural grass, if you want to modify the building... Take the stadium private. Or take the stadium private. Buy back the sub. Pay the subsidy and buy the stadium back from the city. Otherwise, guess what? Turf sticking around for any municipality to decide it's cheaper to maintain. And the NFLPA can stuff their fucking whining. You play a collision sport. You play one of the three most violent sports in the world. At least one of the three most violent sports of the world where. It's not a combat sport. Those obviously the central premise is violence. Ultimately though, I mean in terms of team sports, American football is one of the most violent sports on the planet right up there with hockey and rugby. So I mean you can't if you're the NFL PA, I think you're a little hamstrung by recency bias. And it could also, I mean, you could also point out when Alex Smith's leg exploded, that wasn't on AstroTurf. When, uh, this past Monday, Nick Chubb's knee got blown up. Was that a result of turf? No, that happened on grass in Pittsburgh. In addition, hundreds of colleges and thousands of high schools across this country have switched to artificial surfaces and you're not seeing the same level of complaint over injuries happening on those surfaces. And you got to figure those are probably inferior in quality to what you'd see in an NFL venue. You don't see baseball players complaining about the increasing usage of turf on a college level, on a minor league level. Even some major league stadiums that had grass had switched back to turf because grass was too difficult to maintain, Phoenix. Arlington has an artificial surface. Despite having a retractable roof, Miami switched to turf. Despite having a retractable roof. Because those grass surfaces cost too damn much to maintain. And yet you don't see the same level of complaint out of collegiate football players 
out of high school football players, out of collegiate and professional baseball players who play on that exact same artificial surface. So if you're the NFLPA, don't you think it's a little irresponsible to demand the switch to grass when you've not only ignored all of the historical instances of grass being just as, if not more dangerous, when it fails to take root or when it happens to be damaged in a substantial way by the elements. And I mean, frankly, if you're playing on modern turf, you're kind of spoiled. If you really want to bitch about it, we can go back to that 1970s, 1980s putt-putt shit where it was just quarter-inch, you know, quarter-inch turf on slab concrete or hard clay. Go back to that. See how much you enjoy that. See how easy it is to cut on that shit when it's wet. See how easy it is to take a tackle on that shit. The fact that turf is as good as it is you're kind of spoiled. And considering there are so many other classes of football that are also playing on that same surface and they don't seem to have the same problem, does your argument really hold water or have you just become a victim of social media outcry? As we're often all too often want to do. I find it damn peculiar that the NFL would demand the NFLPA would demand this when their claims just don't bear out. This is one of the reasons that we can't in any facet of society become victim to recency bias. Just because it's the most recent thing that happened doesn't mean that it suddenly becomes superseding to empirical data. Like, we're obsessing over one anecdote, guys. And yeah, it sucks that it was a high-profile player on the tail end of his career and his season's over. But at the same time, you can't stand here and throw a freaking tantrum about it when the facts don't really fit what you're trying to argue. We'll see how it plays out as the season develops. But until I start hearing about high school coaches demanding natural grass come back, or I start hearing colleges demand natural grass come back, at this point it just sounds like petulant whining. Suck it up. Your grown-ass men getting paid millions of dollars, unless you're a running back, unfortunately. If anybody's got a right to complain, it's running backs and fullbacks. Mostly because their position's been so thoroughly devalued, but that's a topic for another time. I may cover that next week. But to demand that every NFL venue switch to grass, which in some cases is not possible, Detroit, fixed roof, can't go to grass, Atlanta, can't go to grass, because their pinwheel roof is broken, so fixed roof, can't go to grass. Minnesota, fixed roof, can't go to grass. Harsh winter weather, can't go to grass. I don't hear CFL players bitching, and they're mostly on turf, because again, up there, 
the environment is so harsh, you can't grow grass most of the year. I don't hear them complaining. Bring it in, NFLPA. You're the only one bitching. But you're not the only one having to play on that artificial surface. So maybe put aside the recency bias, quit giving in to social media outcry, and accept the fact that until NFL stadiums go fully private, or until certain stadiums are replaced with stadiums where a roll-in pitch is possible, it ain't fucking happening. Get over it. Or, here's an idea, go sell insurance. If the job's too daunting for you, go find a different job. Coming up after the break, Microsoft has announced, of course, that the end of life of Windows 10, which they said at one point was going to be the last version of Windows you ever needed, will be reaching end of life on October 14th, 2025. At that point, they won't be launching any more security updates, but the thing is, Windows 11 might not be the answer. And for a lot of users who can't or don't want to replace their one- to three-year-old hardware, it's not even an option. If they're an enterprise or a government office, it's not an option. But we'll talk more about that why Windows 11 isn't the answer. And in addition to that, later on in the program, we'll talk about some solutions that may be a better choice, not only in terms of performance and security, but that don't involve paying a cent to Microsoft. So stick around. we got a lot of show coming up. It's SMPH, still brilliant, still stupid, presented by Spotify for Podcasters. S-M-P-H, still brilliant, still stupid, still presented by Spotify for Podcasters. Amy Joe Cook back with you. That was a great little way to kick off the day. I will admit, as I'm recording this, I'm also doing a little irresponsible multitasking. I'm watching UEFA Champions League. If that gives you any indication of what time of day I, I record the program. And I just now realized, do they play that Champions League like fanfare with the with the with the choir and all that? Do they play that at the start of every match? Like, do they seriously have to fucking stand there through that like it's a national anthem or something? It's like Good lord, like I, I mean I don't, I don't know if people tailgate for soccer matches, but that'd make me want to start. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Oi, that's rough. Fuck, no, just play the game. Like, if you're not going to play national anthems, just play the game. Of course, they're playing in England uh, today. They're at... Uh, Let's see, this is Arsenal and PSV Eindhoven, so they're they're in Emirates. Um, they're in England, so I'd imagine 
I'd imagine they did probably start drinking. It's just after 7 p.m. Uh, London Standard Time. Because in England they end daylight saving time a little sooner than we do. Um, but uh, that, no, that whew, that would be rough to sit through every time. That would be like having to, instead of the national anthem before a college football game, you have to listen to the school's alma mater song play before anything gets kicked off. And you know, you fucking know, that would get really old really quickly. So, you know, dumb distractions aside, any thoughts or opinions on the first topic we covered today with the NFLPA losing its collective mind over having to play on artificial surfaces and demanding natural grass despite all of the costs involved and all the complexities involved and the fact that multiple other levels of football play on it and they don't have the same outcry. Email the show, feedmyearsatoutlook.com. Hit the inbox, 937-226-9767. Before the break, I mentioned that Microsoft had announced uh, quite some time ago that they would be retiring support for Windows 10 on October 14th, 2025. This isn't just a big deal for end users, who of course are hot enough at the fact that, yet again, Microsoft's ending product life for something that they at one point advertised would be the last version of Windows. And yes, I, I can understand. It's been 10 years since Windows 10 was released. But at the same time, Windows 11 is not ready for prime time. Also, when you consider that Windows 11 has such stringent hardware requirements, especially when it comes to things like Trusted Platform Module 2.0, which is a, a hardware add-on. Even if you have the specs to run Windows 11, which this is the... I'm on my second desktop that outside of TPM supports it. Microsoft won't let you upgrade to it. So even though they're ending support for consumers, professionals, enterprise, government, and education all at the same time, most of these institutions are not going to be able to justify the hardware cost of going out and buying all new hardware to be able to use an operating system that is, for all intents and purposes, still fundamentally busted in a lot of ways. And it's, it's, it's not just that Windows 11 is a sawed-off version of Windows in terms of functionality, which it is. The new start menu is a wreck. Microsoft has decided to inject AI into it. I don't like operating systems or any kind of computer software that tries to anticipate my needs. No, you're a tool. You sit there and wait until I tell you something to do. But customizability is basically gone in an attempt to copy 
Chrome OS and Mac OS. Guess what? If I wanted one of those, I'd be on it. And I'll tell you, somebody who uses Chrome OS on my laptop when I'm away from my office, there's a lot of things I fucking hate about Chrome OS. Mostly the absence of control. But it's more secure. I don't give a shit. My system's plenty secure because I'm a competent user. How about you make people work a little fucking harder at learning an operating system and an operating system structure that's been around for 28 fucking years? If you've been using Windows since Windows 95 and you still don't know how to use a computer, that's on you. Why do I have to have a dumbed-down operating system because you don't want to learn shit? Piss off. You miss me with that nonsense. Customizability is sawed off. A lot of things that you used to be able to access through the traditional control panel, which, by the way, that's a, a hallmark of bad design, Microsoft. Having both a modern settings menu and the old control panel because you can't unify the two into something coherent and functional? Come on, that's a huge failure on your part. That was a big problem in Windows 10. And I get to a point wanting to drop a lot of legacy support because that's one of the big reasons that the operating system has become as bloated as it is. But at the same time, if you're going to push off that much of your market share because you just want everybody on Windows 11 and they don't want to go out and buy new hardware or maybe they actually do claim actually do give a shit about the environment unlike your claim to give a shit about the environment and they don't want to create a bunch of new e-waste what about them what about the folks who have older software or older hardware that has to work with the operating system that you now no longer support what are they supposed to do and I have this feeling we're going to see Microsoft ultimately have to backpedal when they realize that major corporations, government organizations, school systems aren't willing to drop all this money on brand new hardware when a lot of them just a couple years ago dropped a bunch of money on new hardware. Because they made the mistake of going with Chrome. Then they realized what a pain in the ass it was. And how its functionality is sawed off for all but the most advanced users who can dive into a command line. Between the lack of customization, between the fact that Microsoft has rolled off support for so much older hardware and software, the fact that an operating system that tries to anticipate your needs usually fails at it spectacularly. There are a lot of things that I'm pretty confident Microsoft isn't going to fix in the next two years in Windows 11 sufficiently enough for people to be willing to finally make the jump in October of 2025 when they no longer have an option. Look at how many people stayed on Windows XP even after it was end of life, despite the risks. Look at how many people stayed on Windows 7 after it was end of life, 
despite the risks. Hell, last year, I had to work with my uncle's computer that someone had given him. Never mind the fact that Windows 10 had been around for, you know, seven years at that point. Because his, quote, computer guy preferred Windows 7, I gave my Uncle Scott a machine with Windows 7 on it. Which had already been end of life for five fucking years. My Uncle Scott's not going to have the technological aptitude necessary to keep updating that thing. Hell, he'd probably have that thing corrupted by malware within 10 minutes of getting on the internet because he's not smartened up under the preparations that are necessary in this day and age where we gave the third world computers before we gave them stable economies. While it is frustrating that even after almost 30 years, people haven't smartened up to the Windows environment despite using it on a daily basis for most of the last 30 years, the solution is not dumbing it down like the child setting on a fucking microwave. I personally have to interact with Windows 11 for my other job. I fucking hate it. But I can't tell my customers that because Microsoft's a partner. Windows 10 was okay, but I'm going to tell you this. Since 2010, in one capacity or another, I'll keep Windows as a backup operating system for a handful of things that I still need Windows for. But now that modern hardware and modern iterations of Linux have caught up, I don't have to. I've been using Linux in one form or another as my daily driver on my desktop or my laptop since 2010. I don't want to go back. And thanks to the fact that containerization is as good as it is, the handful of Windows programs I need to run that aren't Microsoft Office, because you can't get a physical installer for Office now, thanks Microsoft, run fine in a wine container. For those of you who don't know, in the world of Linux, Wine is an emulation layer that allows you to run Windows-exclusive instruction sets in a Linux distribution. I play Nintendo 64 games on an emulator. There are no good Linux emulators that support hardware acceleration. Unless they require a, degree, a discrete graphics card so powerful, you might as well just go find and purchase a Nintendo 64. So I use, uh, I use a wine emulator called Bottles to run Project 64. And it runs great. Better than Moopin. Better than Ultra HLE. So now that I have an option to run those handful of Windows programs I can't be without, otherwise don't go to Linux, Windows. I use Linux for everything. Hell, the desktop I record this on came with Windows when I got it. What was the first thing I did when I got it? You bet your ass I busted out a flash drive and popped Kubuntu 2204 on there. And it's otherwise been a headache-free experience. 
I mean, granted, I've got a leg up because of all the time I've spent using Linux and I know how to work with the ins and outs of it, but even if you're not an experienced Linux user, Linux as a family of operating systems has honestly never been easier to use for a casual user than it is now. And there are no shortage of great distributions out there that can give you an environment similar to what you're used to on Windows, or if you're a Mac user, can give you an environment similar to what you're accustomed to on Mac. Hell, the way I've got my system set up, it kind of behaves like a hybrid between Windows and Macintosh. I have a global menu up top that behaves like Mac. I use a window switcher that behaves like Mac. I have all my desktop icons weighted to the right, like a Mac. Hell, I even use the same typeface as Mac. But my application menu? Still more reminiscent of Windows. One of the things I love about Linux is your ability to custom tailor every granular facet of the operating system to a way that works best for you specifically. And that's why after the break, for those of you for whom Windows 11 is not an answer, we're going to take some time to go over the huge variety of Linux distros that are out there that you can try at no cost and that you can fool around with and see which one's the right fit for you and finally get off your dependence on those dickheads in Redmond. So stick around. We're going to smarten you up to the world of Linux. When we come back after the break, this is SMPH. Still Brilliant, Still Stupid, presented by Spotify for Podcasters. SMPH, Still Brilliant, Still Stupid. Presented by Spotify for Podcasters. Amy Jo Cook back with you. Again, Spotify for Podcasters is the great service that provides you all the tools you need to record, edit, distribute, and monetize your own podcast, including now giving you the ability to link your podcast to Patreon. So your listeners can support you from anywhere in the world. Visit podcasters.spotify.com and start your own podcast today. Yes, I am still watching Champions League. And uh, at the 38th minute, oh my goodness, it it is getting to be a rough one in North London tonight. Arsenal already up three on PSV Eindhoven. And we're not even to halftime. This is, this is getting to be, this is getting to be a, a wee bit of a dropping. Um, it's, whew, this is, this is not what you expect 
if you're Eindhoven and you're trying to make a mark for yourself in the Champions League, just running into the wall that is the cannon. Definitely not the result they were expecting uh, when they when they made the trip to London from the Netherlands. But that's not what we're here to talk about. I may at one point start covering this in a little more detail, covering more uh, international soccer. I honestly haven't decided, but you know what? If you want to hear me cover it more, you know what to do. Email it, email me, feedmyears at outlook.com. I have the inbox. None of you are using it. What the fuck? Oh, I'm so tired of these PSAs. Athletes getting heckled is apparently scarring. Guess what? If you can't handle being heckled, you don't deserve to be a pro athlete. Does it hurt your feelings? I don't give a shit. Like I said before, go sell insurance, motherfucker. Guess what? People being assholes doesn't escape you no matter where you fucking go. Unless you go live in the wilderness in Alaska. And then there, the only assholes you have to deal with are reality TV production crews. Ugh. I'm cranky today. I'm still not quite 100% from feeling sick over the last couple of days. Ugh. Plus, you can tell it's Wednesday because I made the mistake of thumbing through Facebook for a couple of minutes during the break. And uh, it's it's like fucking clockwork with Facebook. Every Wednesday, there is a wave of just brand new, algorithm-driven, clickbait bullshit. Most of which I have hidden or blocked before. But I guess those only apply at a week at a time. And this is why I pretty much just use Facebook to promote the show. I don't do a lot of interacting on it in general because it's a fucking dumpster fire like the rest of social media. I just, I sometimes I want to print, I just want to print some of these, these clickbaity trash ass pieces that Facebook forces into my newsfeed just so I can literally wipe my ass with them and mail them to Menlo Park. This is what I think of your algorithm, Facebook. That's probably chili spaghetti. Might be Taco Bell. I really do not eat the way I should for being 39 and having had two heart attacks, even though those weren't diet-related. And I've wandered off the point enough. What we're doing this segment, as I told you before I went to the break, with Microsoft end of life in Windows 10 uh, just two years from now and a lot of people especially in the private sector and in the public sector and in the education sector not having the hardware to run Windows 11 plus Windows 11 itself just being a badly designed operating system top to bottom for a lot of those folks Windows 11 is not the answer for those folks, I would say there has never been a better time to consider switching to a different option. And I don't mean Mac, because you're going to pay the Apple tax on that hardware. 
Plus, they somehow managed to make Unix less functional. Figure that out. Chrome OS might not be the answer, and the education sector can tell you that. They spent a lot of money on that shit between 2018 and 2022, only to find out they were sold a bill of goods that hasn't worked out the way they thought it would. So, what does that leave? If Windows isn't a viable option because it's too dumbed down, if Mac isn't a viable option because it's too dumbed down and too expensive, if Chrome isn't a viable option because it's too dumbed down, what does that leave? Well, for a lot of folks, that leaves Linux, which Chrome OS is a derivative of, but again, too dumbed down. Thankfully, Chrome and Android are not the only Linux distros in town. Because Linux is an operating environment, an operating system that is modular by nature, and because its source code is freely open to the public and anyone can view it or modify it however they see fit, it opens itself to a lot of customization, a lot of varying interpretations that allow you to find a distro of Linux, whether you're an advanced user running the best hardware, an advanced user running incredibly specialized hardware, or just a casual user who needs a desktop environment with a little customization that's familiar enough but still allows them to do more than just type a Word document or surf the internet, desktop Linux might be the choice for you. Now, at one point in the past, you may have had to worry about compiling the source code or compiling the operating system yourself. We're past that. Most contemporary user-friendly Linux distributions will have a very easy-to-use graphical installer that gives you a user experience similar to what you would experience installing Windows on a machine, for example. Setting them up to be bootable off of a USB flash drive is pretty straightforward. And a lot of these distributions will come generally preloaded with most of the software and drivers that you need for the computer to be usable right away. Right away. Some of the more popular ones that you're going to see out there, the ones we're going to cover today, that are geared primarily toward end users, casual users, because advanced users are out there getting their Slackware and their, you know, Gentoo and their Manjaro and their Arch Linux. They know how to compile the shit themselves. They, they'll, we don't have to worry about them. You, the advanced users, they know what to do. They've been ahead of this curve for a good long while, and a lot of them have skills that far surpass my own. For casual users, for those folks who are migrating away from a Windows environment or migrating away from Mac OS, what we want to cover today are Linux distros that would be better suited to give you a user experience that you're familiar with, but that will still give you the privacy and the customizability and the control that you, you may have missed as Windows has gotten steadily dumbed down over the years. 
Now, one of the first ones that I want to talk about is not necessarily Ubuntu, but we will cover that because it is one of the largest Linux distros out there and it's available with a variety of desktop environments. What I really love about Ubuntu is the fact that you can pick your desktop environment. So even if you install one and you're not happy with it, you can install another without having to reinstall your entire operating system. We'll, we'll, we'll go over that. But one of the first operating systems I want to introduce to people who may already be familiar with Windows and want a user experience the closest you can get to, say, Windows 2000, Windows XP, Windows 7, would be Linux Mint. Now, for beginners, it's fantastic. The folks at Linux Mint have gone to painstaking lengths to make the user experience as close to those Windows versions I just mentioned as reasonably possible. Your taskbar, your application launcher, all behave in ways similar to what you'd expect from Windows. Because it uses Ubuntu under the hood, you've still got access to a unified application store. You can access new application stores like Flatpak, or rather its host, Flathub. You can still access Ubuntu Snaps. But they'll usually run on, it runs on a desktop environment. It'll usually run on either Cinnamon or XFCE or Mate, which are great for older hardware. So even if you've got an old machine lying around and you want it to, to, to get a few extra years out of it, Linux Mint might be a great choice for you to give you an operating environment similar to what you're accustomed to, but at the same time, give you access to a variety of new applications and stable, reliable support. Whew. You can tell I was sick the last couple days. My voice is not bouncing back between segments like it normally does. It's, it's kind of rough. So bear with me. I, I may, I'm going to run out of steam again by the end of the show. But again, with, uh, with Linux Mint, you're going to have an operating environment that looks and behaves almost identically to Windows. Things that you're used to finding in Windows in specific places have been put in those same places in the Cinnamon or the Mate desktop environment. So you're going to get a very familiar experience. But with the customizability that you miss that Windows no longer has. A lot of great desktop apps you're familiar with are available for Linux. Spotify has a dedicated Linux version. It was made by the Spotify team so that they could actually, you know, enjoy their product on their work computers because their work computers are on Linux. There are things like Audacity, which of course is what I use to record this and edit this. It's available on Windows. It's available on Mac. It's available on Linux. I use the Linux version. Cosmetically, identical to Windows. So everything you're used to in the Windows version is in the exact same spot here. So it's great. You don't have to you don't have to relearn the entire thing from the ground up, which is a huge benefit, especially if you're coming from a different operating system 
where, again, because the OS has been around for 30 years, you might be accustomed to things being in certain places. Another great choice would be Zorin OS. Now, Zorin is from a French developer. One of the things that I like about Zorin is it actually has pre-configured variants uh, to give it the, the appearance and behavior of Windows or Macintosh, your choice. So if you're coming from Mac, this might be a good option for you, including the global menu where you won't have to configure it manually, the Windows switcher and the dock, so you won't have to configure it manually like I have to with KDE, which is fine. I, I Again, I'm slightly above intermediate, but I, I'm not a power user. I, I'm not living in shell I'm running all kinds of batch scripts. It's not, I'm, I'm good. I'm not that good. But again, it too is based on Ubuntu. So you get access to all of the .deb packages. You get access to all of Flatpak you can add. You get access to the Snap Store. There's even a, a, a separate app store for app images, which is another Linux container and installer package you can use. These are all things that have been designed to make the installation process of software as easy as possible for the casual user. So you get a modern experience like an app store, but you get the familiarity of whichever operating system you're the most accustomed to. Now, bear in mind, Zorin is a tiered OS. There is a free version with limited customizability, it's great to start, but it is a touch dumbed down. If you can, pay the $20 for the Ultimate Edition. It's worth it because it will give you a fuller degree of customization over how your operating environment looks and behaves. You've got that built-in compatibility with Ubuntu. You've got support for most of your hardware drivers. Even setting up a printer used to be a pain in the ass, but thanks to the universal print driver, you can take any Canon, any Epson, any HP, hook them up. It's generally a headache-free experience. Hell, there's even a light version. Again, if you've got older hardware, you can install the light edition on your machine. Some of the animations and graphical fluff will be cut out, but you'll still get a reliable experience. Elementary OS might be a good choice if you prefer a more Mac OS style uh, user experience. Again, it's derived from Ubuntu. You get a lot of the same familiarity and under the hood compatibility that you would expect from any of the other distros that I mentioned. The only real trade-off is elementary OS does take a little more work to install, but it is a quality operating system. So if you're a Mac user, you probably got a little more experience tinkering with your OS than a Windows user normally would, so give it a shot. It'll run on most Intel-based Macs. You may have some trouble running a Linux distro on Apple Silicon, but if you're, if you're using an Intel Mac, and you want to migrate away from Mac OS, you don't want to go to the, the M1 or the M2, whatever Apple's got going these days, that's okay. Go with elementary OS. It's going to give you an experience 
along the lines of what you would expect. And it'll do that well. Now, a lot of these operating systems that I've told you about, if you haven't noticed, all have one recurring theme under the hood, and that is Ubuntu. Ubuntu has become the gold standard for Linux for casual users. It's been around since 2004. I've been using it since 2010 in one form or another. And it is because of its widespread usage, one of the most supported, one of the easiest to work with, and as I mentioned before, you can put any desktop environment you see fit on there. So if you don't like the default Ubuntu interface, which is based on GNOME, I swear I hate calling it that. It sounds so good stupid. <laughs> I couldn't resist. If you're not a fan of GNOME, which I'm not a fan of modern GNOME, that's okay. You can install XFCE if you've got older hardware. You can install LXDE if you need a minimal installation that's meant just for speed and functionality. That's a choice too. I use KDE Plasma as my desktop environment because it gives me the best combination of performance, graphical fluff, and still reliable speed. Because if you know me, I'm a cheapskate. I'm not blowing a crap ton of money on top-end hardware. I don't need that. I could probably benefit from it, but I don't need it, so I'm not, I'm not spending that. This desktop gives me all the performance I need, and it was 80 goddamn dollars brand new. So, there you go. Whichever Linux distro you go with, the ones I recommended are some of the best choices if you are a casual user migrating away from Windows or from Mac. Give them a shot. Setting up a USB flash drive to boot and install them is actually really easy. All you have to do in most cases is download the ISO image and follow the instructions. That's it. But this way, you can get extra life out of your computer. You can get the level of control and customization that you're accustomed to. Still use most of the apps you're familiar with. Or apps that are very, very similar. If you're a Photoshop user, I recommend fucking around with GIMP and telling Adobe to stick it. You have choices beyond Windows, Mac, and Chrome. And thankfully, we're at a point in their development that you don't have to learn the entire operating system from the ground up. A lot of that hard shit has been done for you, but without making an operating environment so dumbed down it's not usable, like Windows 11. So give those a look. I know on the first episode of this season of the program, I talked about these, and I, talked, I asked you guys which version of Linux was your favorite? Ubuntu, Zorin, Debian, Red Hat, Fedora, Suze Enterprise. Fuck, there's a ton of them. Literally thousands of Linux distros out there. The ones I mentioned, a great place to get started. If you want more info on Linux distributions, I'd recommend checking out distrowatch.org. D-I-S-T-R-O-W-A-T-C-H dot org. There you can find just about every Linux distro under the sun in its most recent version in a well-organized system 
so that you can find the one that's right for you and fuck around with them. Figure out which one's the best. And in a lot of cases, you can actually run the entire operating system right from your flash drive. So you don't even have to install it. You can test drive the operating system and see if it's a good fit for you before you even install it. So if you want power over your machine again and you want to wrestle that power away from the folks in Cupertino or Redmond or Mountain View, give one of these a try. Hell, if you're running it from the flash drive, the worst thing that happens is you just unplug the flash drive and go back to what you were using. No big deal. Shit, give it a go. Oh my goodness, my mouth is getting dry. I am running out of steam. And I still got one segment to go. And of course, since we wrap up every week with it, we'll wrap it up with this this week. Yeah, no, still not out of the woods. Whoo, gross, excuse me. But we are going to wrap it up with Gem of the Gem City. When it comes to brick style, brick oven style pizza here in Dayton, Old Scratch Pizza is a tough one to beat. And I think a lot of Daytonians are sleeping on this rapidly growing business. So, when we come back, we're going to talk about Old Scratch Pizza. It's our gem at the Gem City this week. Stick around. One more to go. It's SMPH, Still Brilliant, Still Stupid, presented by Spotify for Podcasters. I'm going to go get a lozenge. Shit. SMPH, still brilliant, still stupid. Presented by Spotify for podcasters. Amy Joe Cook coming around the home stretch with you. Been a great show so far today. I appreciate every one of you who listens. We're just coming down to the last little bit, and I'm sure my voice will probably not make it through this one either. It's usually how it goes. Again, SMPH is presented by Spotify for Podcasters. Spotify for Podcasters is the great service that gives you all the tools you need to record, edit, distribute, and monetize your own podcast. Visit podcasters.spotify.com and start your own podcast today. Of course, after we're done here. So we got a lot, we got a lot off the docket today. We talked about the NFL Players Association and why they're their, their desire for grass in all of their venues is really little more than a glorified pipe dream. We talked about Microsoft reaching end of life for Windows 10. And why, for a lot of people, Windows 11 is probably not the answer. We talked about all the great Linux distros out there for if a Windows 11 is not the answer for your needs and all of the options you have there to migrate to something that will give you a familiar experience. 
while still getting you away and out from under Redmond's cloud. And that brings us to the final segment of every program every week. And that is our gem of the Gem City. And I'm aware this is the third time I've mentioned a pizza place. I don't care. If there's one thing Dayton does well, it's pizza. And I mean pizza other than Marion's. Fuck you, they're overrated. Fight me. But this week, I wanted to tell you about a place that has grown significantly since its inception and is now up to three and coming up on a fourth location in the Dayton metro area. And that is a place called Old Scratch Pizza. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Old Scratch, you know, whether you've been to their main location downtown on South Patterson Boulevard, whether you've been to their location in Centerville, whether you've been to their location in Beaver Creek, or if you're excited about the one that's coming to Troy, you know they serve traditional brick oven style pizza, an interesting fusion of Midwestern pizza and Neapolitan style, loads of menu choices, fire roasted veggies, in a very big open environment that honestly I think some people sleep on just because of the way the building's designed. But they have been, since they opened, one of my absolute favorite places to get a brilliantly executed pizza. Now, the way they do their pizzas, you do have a couple of different choices. You can go with a red sauce base or a white sauce base. There are several vegetarian and vegan choices. If you're wanting something like a traditional margarita pizza with just tomato sauce, fresh mozzarella, basil, olive oil, a no-frills is close to true Napoli-style pizza, they have it, and it's fantastic. For those of you who are from New York and like that Napoli-style pizza, if you're here in town, give it a go. If you want something more akin to what you're used to at pizza places, Try their deluxe. Dry-aged mozzarella, sausage, pepperoni, green bell peppers, caramelized onions, olives, mushrooms, the whole shebang. A large is just $15.70. So, I mean, really not a bad price. There's a lot of, a lot of great choices there. If you're vegan... They have a vegan version of the Mr. Scratch, a vegan margarita, and a vegan Elliot. They're all there. If you prefer a white sauce pizza, I'd give something like the Sophie May a try. Red onion jam, applewood smoked bacon, fresh mozzarella on a white garlic sauce. It, it's absolutely tremendous. As someone who gets bad heart from heartburn from red sauces, sometimes you want to go down the down the white sauce road. And it's great on its own. I'm not personally a fan of mushrooms, but if you want to go with a mushroom route, try the shroom pizza. Forest mushrooms, fresh mozzarella, roasted garlic, thyme, truffle oil. Fantastic blend of earthy flavors. That great 
fire-grilled crust with just the right amount of crispiness to it. It's exactly what you want. You've got options like their house-made hummus, roasted cauliflower, which they roast in their oven, oven-roasted olives, their traditional meatballs made there in-house, another great choice, several different salad options available. They're worth a shot. Every time I go, it's been a consistently good experience. I will say you will get a better experience eating in when you get the pizza right out of the oven at its absolute peak. Because just like any pizza, it does kind of lose something the longer it sits in a box. So try it fresh out of the oven. When it's scaldingly hot, you're going to get the best experience possible, no matter which of their locations you visit. They also have a great selection of scratch cocktails. Tons of local beers on staff or on tap. You really can't go long, wrong with what you find it at Old Scratch. Now, whether you go to the original location at 810 South Patterson Boulevard, or you go with their Centerville location out at 440 Miamisburg Centerville Road in Centerville, or whether you go with their Beaver Creek location which is at 2450 Dayton Xenia Road. You're going to get a great, consistent experience no matter which location you go to. I've been to all three. There's not a bad one in the bunch. Give Old Scratch Pizza a try if you want a pizza like you haven't been able to find here in Dayton before. Give it a go. It's worth it. But as you can tell from my rapidly dying voice, this is going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you again to all of you for listening, for sharing the show, for helping us get those numbers up slowly. Thoughts, opinions, feedback, email the show, feedmyears at outlook.com. Leave us a voicemail at the voicemail inbox, 937-226-9767. But for the purposes of my vocal cords, we're going to cut it off here. This has been a full day for me. SMPH is presented by Spotify for Podcasters. Visit podcasters.spotify.com to get all the tools you need to record, edit, distribute, and monetize your podcast today. SMPH, still brilliant, still stupid, is a CGF production. CGF Productions is where great ideas come to get fed. So until next week, I'm Amy Joe Cook saying stay hungry, stay healthy. We'll see you next time. Good night, Mom.